Bob Dotson. He was just here two weeks ago. He's already hard at it. Uh, they just finished one of uh, three camps that are really close together. They finished on Friday, and they get two days of rest, and the next buses roll in tomorrow morning. And they'll go three or four days, and they'll get a couple more days rest, and then they'll have a third camp before they get a longer period off. So he says, D&I greet you from watery Tanzania. We are in the range right now. We are doing camps, three of them right now, and anything that can go wrong is going wrong. Our first camp found buses, wipers, and another's lights going out en route. One bus ran out of fuel. All buses were late. We had a ground short the first night in the auditorium that cut the service short. No message. And sent everyone to supper early. Plumbing pipes broke. We had more campers than capacity, 630. The rain poured down as the campers lined up outside for lunch. On the last night of trying to salvage the camp, while the last message was being preached, I sat in the corner praying. I did not know why the Spirit of God had brought all these negatives against this first effort. What good could come from this? The invitation was offered. I prayed for the Lord to give us a few souls. 253 responded to the gospel and came to Christ. 19 others came for other reasons. There is the triumph and tragedy. Christ interceded in weakness. It is your prayer toward God for us that makes these things possible. Keep praying. The buses for the next camp roll in on Monday. Two more catastrophic camps to go. Pray for us. Cheers, Bob. That's why we're in missions. Take your Bibles. Turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 16. After a two-week break, we have returned to our study of the channel markers that God has given us to help us steer our way through life without shipwrecking our lives. The first set of guidelines that he gives us in the Old Testament is the Ten Commandments. As we study each of the commandments, it's important to remember that the Christian is both under the law, not under the law as a way of redemption and yet under the law as a divinely authorized pattern of life. Tonight we come in our study to the ninth commandment found in Exodus 20:16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This command forbids the lie and it condemns the liar. The message of the ninth commandment is that truth matters to God. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. On the one hand, nearly everyone condemns lying. And on the other hand, nearly everyone does it. A recent study says that 91% of people lie regularly. Most never make it through a week without lying. 
And one out of five cannot even make it through one day without telling a lie. Statistics say that people lie 92% of the time to save face and 98% of the time to keep from offending someone else. So it should be patently obvious that the truth is in very short supply in our world today. We, of course, understand that this commandment's specific application is to the courtroom. In our country, when a witness enters the courtroom to give evidence, they are asked to swear, to, get, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In the past, the oath used to include the phrase, so help me God. But its exclusion in our day is another issue entirely. It may be in a day and age in which they believe most of the population believes there is no such as absolute truth that we may forego having an oath at all if there is no such thing as absolute truth. William Barclay sums up how important the matter of true witnesses are when he wrote, the Jewish law was so arranged that a witness was compelled to think of their responsibility for the truth. Jewish thought hated false witnesses Jewish law condemned false witnesses, and Jewish regulations did everything to make a witness hesitate to tell anything but the truth. But God demands truth not only in the courtroom, but in life in general. When the Apostle Paul lists the old ways of life that Christians are to put aside in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, lying heads the list. He says, therefore, put aside, put away lying, that each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It should be recognized that honesty is first and foremost, though, an affair of the heart. The first problem that we must face is the propensity to kid ourselves that this only applies to someone else, that this is never problem in our own lives. One pastor ended his Sunday morning service by instructing his people, I'd like for you to read the 17th chapter of the book of Mark before next Sunday. The following Sunday, true to his word, he asked the congregation, how many of you read the 17th chapter of Mark this past week? And almost all of his members raised their hands, indicating they had indeed read the 17th chapter. The pastor then stunned those people by announcing, Ladies and gentlemen, there is no 17th chapter of the book of Mark. And then he proceeded to preach his sermon, which happened to be on lying. Obviously, it's a problem. One of the amazing things about lying is that children do not have to be taught how to do it. It seems to come hand in hand with acquiring language. Tonight I want to look at the negative and then the positive implications of this commandment. First of all, what this commandment prohibits. Certainly one of the most common reasons for not telling the truth is to avoid the pain or discomfort of being honest. Let me list for you the most common ways this commandment is broken. First of all, slander. 
Slander is defined as communication of false statements that are injurious to a person's reputation. We are guilty of slander when we knowingly lie about another person in order to harm their reputation. Little legal note here for you. It's slander if it's spoken. It's libel if it's written. A man was having trouble <clears throat> with a member of his church that was a gossip. Every time she would see his car parked at anybody's home other than his own, she began immediately to spread the word that this man was having an affair. There was no truth to her rumors. But she kept it up until the man, in an effort to stop her, left his car parked in front of her house day and night for a week. That cured the problem. She no longer spoke about that issue. Slander. Of course, just plain old lying. A false statement deliberately presented as being true. Whether we admit it or not, we all are times guilty of lying. The moral philosopher Siska Bach wrote, It is easy to tell a lie, but it's hard to tell just one. Think about that for a moment. It's easy to tell a lie, but it's hard to tell only one. You tell a lie, and then you have to tell another lie to cover up the original lie. But if you're going to be a successful liar, you better have a good memory. Because you're going to have to remember what you said to each individual. Obviously, the Christian is not to lie. Yet many Christians do not view lying as as serious a sin as it is. A church can be much more rigid on its man-made rules than on God's law. There are people who would not attend a dirty movie or drink a drop of alcohol but they have no compunction about telling something that is not true at almost any time. Let me give you a top ten list of lies that you hear almost every day. Number ten, don't worry, dear, we'll only stay five minutes. Number nine, this will be a short meeting. Number eight, I'll respect you in the morning. Number seven, the check is in the mail. One of my favorites, number six, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Number five, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Number four, your money will be cheerfully refunded. Number three, I've heard this one a few times myself. When the physician says this will sting a little bit, that's a lie. That means it's going to hurt a lot. Number two, your car will be ready tomorrow. And number one, I'm going to start exercising, start dieting, start forgiving, whatever, tomorrow. Those are the top ten. Apparently, lying, though, is something that God takes very seriously. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John wrote this list of grievous grievous sins. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, the cowardly unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Wow. Shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
And if there is one lie that God seems to particularly hate, it is the lie that religious people tell to make themselves look more righteous than they really are. Jesus reserved his harshest words for the hypocrite whose very lives were a false witness of their own virtue. Then there is criticism. I'm referring to statements made about another's actions in an effort to hurt their reputation. Now, constructive criticism is a good thing. But destructive criticism is right out of the pit of hell. Beware that in life we see what we're looking for. A vulture sees nothing but what is dead and rotten. He does not pay attention to the flowers and the green grass. He does not pay attention to the living things all around. His focus is on that which is dead and corrupt. Sometimes it seems like there may be vultures in the Lord's house. I'm reminded of a story of a lady who was looking out of her window, watching her neighbor hang her wash on the clothesline. You do remember what a clothesline is, right? She re- as she watched, she remarked to her friend, our neighbor sure isn't very clean. Just look at those streaks on her laundry. Her friend replied, those streaks are on your windows, not on her laundry. Sometimes it is the sin in our own heart <clears throat> that makes us look for the evil in others. If the best that we can do is criticize, perhaps we would be better off to keep it to ourselves. Then there is the problem of gossip. The Bible says in Proverbs verse 16, and this is from the message, Troublemakers start fights, gossip breaks up friendships. The Christian philosopher Pascal wrote, I lay it as a fact that if all men knew what others say of them, there wouldn't be four friends in all of the world. I believe that everyone everyone understands that a story gets embellished as it travels. One lady who had been listening to a choice bit of gossip from another asked, Is that all there is to the story? To which the woman replied, I guess so, I've already told you more than I heard. What we're talking about is the practice of spreading gossip and rumors about others. It may be that the rumors are true. But even that does not give us the right to tear down another person's reputation. If we learn a secret about our neighbor, then perhaps before we speak about their sin, we should go to this brother about his sin or we should go for our brother to the Lord. The Lord knows how to deal with their needs and with them. I will promise you that he knows also how to handle gossip as well. When we find ourselves on the receiving end of gossip, we can build a firewall by asking the person whether we can quote him or her, and by stating that we have no interest in participating in un substantiated gossip. I cannot tell you how many times someone has come to me and said, Pastor, I thought you should know what people are saying. And my reply is always the same. What people? Anonymous criticism is worthless criticism. 
And even beyond that, we have what someone has suggested that we might do before we pass along information or comments about someone else. We might ask ourselves a few questions. First of all, is it confidential? If so, we should never mention it. Secondly, is it true? Now, that might take some investigation. But even if something is true, that does not mean that we have the right to spread it. Here's one that is not in your outline, and that is, would I be saying this if the person I'm talking about were listening? The next question is, is it really necessary? And finally, is it kind? Does it serve a wholesome purpose? As wrong as it is to gossip, we must come to understand that it's just as wrong to listen to gossip. One author offers these words concerning what to do when someone tries to tell us something that we know we ought not to hear. What we should say when someone tries to tell us something we shouldn't hear? Well, interrupt. We should say, wait, before you say anything more, why don't we stop and pray about this? Then after bringing the matter before the Lord, we can say, now, what is it that you wanted to talk about? Or we should say, I'm sorry, tell me, have you gone and spoken to this individual about this problem? Because if you haven't, it wouldn't be right for us to talk about it. And then he offers these insightful words. The only time that we can talk about someone else's sin is when it is our God-given responsibility to give them spiritual help. Otherwise, it is none of our business. The old adage is still true. If you're not a part of the problem or a part of the solution, then you have no business discussing it. Then there is insinuation. This is the practice of hinting that something may be wrong in the life of another. When we are guilty of making people doubt another person's reputation, we're guilty of sin before the Lord. Remember, this is the tactic that Satan used against Job. Let me give you an illustration. What if someone said, this morning's sermon was really good. Brother John seemed to be sober today. It's not what was said. It it was what was implied. Implied without saying it. And remember, anyone that will gossip to you is apt to gossip about you. Flattery. Flattery is that which we will not... The flatterer will not say to your back what he will say to your face. The hypocrite will not say to your face what he will say to your back. This is not to say that there is not a place for compliments and encouragement. A justly deserved compliment is not flattery. But flattery is an unmerited and insincere compliment meant to influence someone. Usually flattery is given in an attempt to gain something from that individual. Flattery is lying. When you're on the end of receiving flattery, remember, flattery is like chewing gum. Enjoy it briefly, but don't swallow it. Someone has said flattery is hearing from others 
what you already thought about yourself. Exaggeration. Now, this is an easy lie to tell. We stretch numbers. We stretch statistics to make things look better than they actually are. What fisherman is there who has not been guilty of stretching the size of the fish that got away? But when we exaggerate, we're lying. Then there is silence. We must understand that sometimes dishonesty does not occur because of what we have said. Sometimes it happens as a result of what we have left unsaid. When we hear an untruth told and remain silent, we are guilty of the slander of silence. We become a party to the deception by not setting the record straight. Keeping quiet is a, is a lie because by not testifying, you allow either an innocent party to be wrongly convicted or you allow a guilty party to be wrongly set free. In such a case, in the Old Testament, Leviticus 5.1 says that the person remaining silent will be held responsible for his silence. Keeping silent is a crime that God will not overlook. The problem of dishonesty, other than it is disgusting to God, is that dishonesty will almost always come back to haunt you. The story is told of a rather peevish old fellow who boarded a train. He occupied the best seat, and then he tried to reserve still another for himself by placing his luggage upon it. Just before the crowded vehicle started, a teenage boy came running up and jumped aboard. This car is full, said the man irritably. That seat next to me is reserved for a friend of mine who has put his bag there. The youth paid no attention but sat down saying, all right, I'll stay until he comes. He placed the suitcase on his lap while the elderly man glared at him in vain. Of course, the friend did not appear. And soon the train began to move. As it glided past the platform, the young man tossed the bag through the open window, saying, apparently your friend has missed the train. We don't want him to lose his luggage, too. What could he say? With a horrified expression on his face, the old gentleman began to fume and sputter. His his own lie had cost him his possessions. Secondly, what this commandment provides, James chapter 3, verse 6. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It has been said that a scorpion has all its venom in its tail, but humans have all their venom in their tongues. We know about the power of the tongue probably from our own experiences Who among us have not experienced the devastating effect of words? Somewhere in your past, you probably had your confidence destroyed by someone's negative comment. Or maybe you've had to pick up the pieces from a vicious rumor or spent a lifetime trying to undo the hurt of someone who called you stupid or ugly or fat or a loser or any other number of horrible labels. But words can also be good. 
And for just a few minutes as we close the message, I want us to look at the positive implications of this commandment. Three things we can do. First of all, truthfulness in our conversation. We must learn to tell the truth graciously but plainly. There's a great story told about an elderly countess who was very happy with her chauffeur. He was courteous, he was prompt, and he was efficient. The only complaint she had concerning him was his personal appearance. One day, in an attempt to be gracious, she said to him, Godfrey, how frequently do you think one should have to shave in order to look neat and proper? He said, well, madam, he also was trying to be gracious. With a light beard like yours, I'm sure every three or four days would be sufficient. This must be truthful in our conversation, honest in our relationships. Have you ever had a discussion like this in your home? So what did you think about the meatloaf? It was okay. You didn't like it. I said it was fine. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement. I thought you liked meatloaf. I do. Then what was wrong with my meatloaf? Nothing. It was just different than what I was used to. It was my mother's recipe. Well, my mother made it a little different. I guess that's what I'm used to. So now your mother is better than my mother? Sound familiar? It's easy to read into any conversation just about any kind of meaning that you want. We can misrepresent or lie about someone when we tell or know only one side of the story or when we only share one dimension of a person's character. The facts can be distorted. It's so important that we work hard at understanding a situation and a person's words. Context is everything. And the last thing is integrity in our conduct. We need to be careful not to condemn anyone without the facts. If we are honest with ourselves, we recognize how quick we are to assume the worst about people. Have you not sometimes jumped to the conclusion that the driver ahead of you in traffic is an idiot because they are not driving as fast as you want them to go or as slow as you want them to go? We may come to discover that they are working hard to be obedient to the law. Maybe they just got a ticket and they don't want another. Or maybe they're just not going to drive beyond their comfort level. We can assume that the person who doesn't live up to our expectations is insensitive and uncaring when it is possible that they just did not know what was expected. When we do things that do not turn out well, we want people to see that we were trying to do something good. Naturally, if this is what we want others to do for us, we should do for others. When you make a big mistake, you have one fervent hope that the people will give you another chance. You want to prove that you can do better. You yearn to show that you are trustworthy. And since that's the way that we wish to be treated, 
we should treat others in that same way. Dr. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary, has written, let's admit that the only reason that we know the difference between the truth and a lie is because we know the one true and living God. Let's admit that the only way we know what it means to tell the truth is because we have received the truth. And let's admit to one another that the only way we recognize truth as the truth is because the Holy Spirit of God has opened our eyes to the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Always relevant, not changing. The standards remain the same. The design of the standards remain the same. Not to deny us pleasure in life, but to keep us from harm. Help us, Lord, in this area that it is so easy for us to fall prey to, to see ourselves as you see us. Not to think about how this may apply to somebody else, but how it may apply to me and what I might need to do in response to hearing that truth. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.